0: Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So, it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Ilaria. And I'm Daphne.
0: And today our guest is Danielle Walker. She is an author. She is the blogger behind Against All Green, someone who has... Treated and I, I don't I guess I don't know if she would say cured, but I'm going to say cured herself with um, healthful eating from a uh, autoimmune disease, and is just a mom of three, a general fun like. Loving, easy to talk to, wonderful person who you i who I feel like I learned so much from just from following her on Instagram and whenever we get a chance to get together. but um but in today's chat, we're gonna learn a lot about how she developed her style of eating and the things that she's had to cut out to really allow her body to heal from the inside out. Um, and how she gives that that knowledge and shares it with her kids,, um, you know, in a way that, that kids will still eat because her kids are under nine <laughs> and, and she gets them to eat liver meatballs y'all oh, stay crazy, tuned for crazy, that <laughs> crazy
2: crazy can we ask you to introduce yourself i am danielle walker i am a cookbook author and food blogger and mom of three and let's see i live in the san francisco bay area um, I run the blog againstallgrain.com and my cookbooks are all kind of under that umbrella. They're the Against
0: All Grain cookbook series. I have to tell you, even as someone who has followed you from afar for a long time been a friend for a couple years now I feel like we um you know I still am always in awe when you put up especially and I think our you know I think our audience will be really curious to hear about this your kids meals like I am utterly fascinated by the way that you eat and how you take care of yourself through food but also how you take care of your kids like you'll put up you know liver meatballs (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, know. grain free chicken fingers and all this. I know, but it's amazing. And your kids love it. You can tell your kids love it. So I, I just I don't even know where I want you to start. I kind of want you to start with your story and and yeah, and why the elimination of these specific foods has been so helpful to you. But then I really would love you to jump into how your whole family has adopted and loves this way of eating
2: well it would it's not always that perfect, but it's not always loves so, I mean it's it, they're they're they've been raised that way, so I think I have that to my advantage rather than trying to like shift you know eight year olds who are picky over to that way of eating later. but yeah, so I have an autoimmune disease that I was diagnosed with right after my husband and I were married, just like two months after our wedding, uh and I spent. Four or five years in hospitals and on really high, debilitating dosages of medications, and nothing was really working. Um, and in fact, was actually causing things to feel worse, just like tons of side effects. And I, you know, had to take medical leave from my job, and I was spending weeks and weeks in the hospital at a time, and um, just was not thriving in life by any means, and um, nearly lost my life. Three or four times.
0: What was um, the what was the diagnosis? And, and you were twenty two, right? I mean, you yeah, I was twenty two.
2: Yeah, it was ulcerative colitis. It's uh, similar to Crohn's disease. Okay, um, but essentially, if it goes the flare ups, if they're really severe, like mine were, um, you can just get so anemic. Uh, that's that's kind of where I was. Like my hemoglobin count, which I learned a lot about back then, but it's as a woman is supposed to be somewhere around like 14, 15. And, you know, after childbirth, like a lot of women deal with that and get somewhere. It's like around a 10, which can be just, you can make you feel really tired and Um, But I was around a seven or eight. um, And so like half of what I should have been. And so that's, I had to have blood transfusions and um, I would lose like 25 pounds in two weeks and then have like arthritis in my bones and just like just a ton of other stuff, just from all from mostly from the medications. Uh, And so I checked with all of the specialists in the area, like we were in the San Francisco area. So we, you know, went and saw a ton of different doctors for second opinions and, kept asking them, you know, is there anything dietary wise that can help? And all sort of colitis and Crohn's are in your digestive tract. So while I'm not a doctor or nutritionist, there was something in my brain at 22 that was like, everything I'm eating is going through the place that is having this disease. So is there something that might be, you know, making it worse or maybe something I'm not getting enough of? I mean, we weren't like you know, fast food eaters three times a day or anything, but I was eating a standard American diet. I mean, I grew up learning how to cook with white flour and white sugar and pastas and breads, like just, you know, the way most people eat. And so I just, there wasn't anything that was glaringly obvious to me. I was like, I don't know if there's something I'm not getting. Um, but every single doctor said diet doesn't cause it. It can't cure it. And it doesn't help it. Um, and so I just kind of kept suffering for a couple of years and then finally stumbled upon a couple of books and then really some like medical chat boards um, back in the day before Facebook and Instagram were around uh, and just found people like real people who had similar diseases that were using food and that had found remission. Uh, and so once I kind of heard it from Someone that actually knew what it was like to experience a disease, rather than a doctor who you know just saw patients and just knew studies. It was enough for me to say, like, okay, I, I think I'm going to try this. Um, and so yeah, I did an elimination diet.
0: Kind of before the the web had taken over yeah. as a resource base for people totally. who wanted to figure out how to eat differently than the standard American diet. So yeah. you, how did you? I mean, how did you find these people who could yeah. sort of show you the the yellow brick road that you needed to follow? <laughs>
2: Well, a lot of it was me and a lot of trial and error, but like the kind of just initial thought of, hey, food could actually play a part was from medical chat boards. There were, you know, I don't even know if they're still around, but There used to be these chat boards before kind of social media where people would get on with, and they would they would be broken up by different diseases or ailments, essentially. And so you could join, you know, the rheumatoid arthritis chat board, or you could join like
0: the UC chat board. And I was going back to my like early forays into AIM and like messenger. You know, eighteen hashtag like five foot eight hashtag. Yeah, that's exactly. No, it's
2: exactly (laughs) what it was. And everybody's signature like had what they were diagnosed with and what medications they were on and whether or not they'd have surgery. And it was just, for me, it was... I just didn't know anybody in real life who had An autoimmune disease at all let alone Mine and especially at such a young age mm-hmm. And so while it's a little Strange to be talking with people you don't know About your ailments and specifically What UC you see about your bowel movements um, It was like almost Comforting to me because it just felt like there Were other people who got and understood What I was And going probably through. that there's
1: that there's Hope and you have some yeah. sort of you know A direction Absolutely. of you know like for me I'm a big planner so it's like if there's a problem I need yes. to find the plan the path and and we're going to like, even if it's a lot of busy work and in hindsight, you're like, okay, wasn't really on the right trail there. But like, at least I was living for and trying something because just to sit there and be like, throw your hands up and be like, God, well, this is what it's going to be. You know, that's that's uh, that's upsetting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I was for a few years, because the doctor said that food didn't matter and that the medications, you know, they were like, if you take these, you'll live a normal life. And I just was not. Living the normal life that I wanted, at least. So you found at, you know, that 22. you found that when you were
1: on the medications, that your health. Was it did it improve or not so much? Not really, no, it
2: didn't, which is so interesting. And so, because the regular medications weren't working, they were talking about either removing a portion of my colon, yeah, or doing a lifelong immunosuppressant drug that would have been administered through an IV every six weeks and it sh- shuts down your whole immune system. So, you know, I had I didn't have kids at the time, but they said if you went on it, you can't go around preschools because you can get like every single bug that goes through a school, oh or gosh. if you get. Um, you know, any like you can get staph infections easily, or if you get tuberculosis, which I was like, you know, kind of random, but um, that it could be fatal because it's it just essentially shuts your whole immune system down so that it doesn't keep fighting and overacting like an autoimmune does. So those were kind of my two options at the time. and And those at such a young age just didn't feel like great options to right. me. Uh, and so food was almost our last resort, which, you know, it's that to me felt like, okay, well, it's not another med. It's not another thing that could have like, you know, potentially really hard side effects. Let's give it 30 days and try this and see, you know, and then if that doesn't work, then we'll look into surgery or to these, you know, other really, really extreme uh,
0: medications. So the elimination diet uh yeah. and you know you don't have to take us through every step of it but yeah, yeah. but basically where did you end up and and what is it that you now eliminate and how has that been for you cuz yeah. I, I also just want to say like I don't think of you as a I don't think of you as a totally woo-woo person. Like you're not against <laughs> medication. You're not against not medical intervention. Yeah. But it's fascinating to me that you found so much more success through the daily medicine of great right. food. Right. And um, and just really curious to see how that's been played out for you over the last 10 years, 10 plus years. Yeah, years. yeah, 10 plus.
2: Yeah. yeah, no, I'm not. I mean, in fact, I say like with the, without the blood transfusions, I would have died. And I also had C-sections with my kids. So I'm like, there is an absolute way to kind of meet. And I think food can play such a huge role in Western medicine and it can make it so much more effective too. Um, and so, yeah, no, I'm not. And I even stayed on a lot of my medications for a while while I was changing my diet just because, you know, there's a lot that goes on there and my body was dependent on those things. And, um, so no, I'm not against it by any means, but, uh, I ended up working with kind of like a functional MD. So, a, a an MD who is looking more into kind of like the holistic, I guess, I don't really know how to explain it, but looks more internally and tries to figure out the root of the problem rather than just covering it up. Suppressing it, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, we ended up cutting out grains and dairy and legumes. So it looked like a paleo diet, which it's so, you know, it's funny because back then that wasn't really a thing. And obviously now it's gotten big. And, um, so it, it was just really more based on we did food testing and kind of what came back as sensitivities. And then we also just cut stuff and watched to see what my body did. Um, and so it was grains, dairy, legumes. And then we kind of went one step further from paleo and cut out eggs. Nuts and seeds, and then nightshades, which can be really inflammatory for anybody with autoimmune conditions. So it's like tomatoes, um, eggplant, eggplant, peppers. peppers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And within forty-eight hours, I saw a decrease in my symptoms by like seventy-five percent. Wow. Um, which oh was crazy. did you do a lot
1: of journaling? Yeah. Like, no. It's like no. Okay, I ate this. This yeah. is How I felt afterwards.
2: My husband told me to keep a food journal probably for like three years while I was struggling (laughs) and trying things. And I just, it felt really overwhelming for me as I was dealing with the disease. And then I have from middle school and high school had a history of eating disorders as well. And so journaling everything to me just felt like it could send me down the wrong path, but Mm. he was right. (laughs) And I finally did start doing it. I realized like, there's no way for me to understand and realize what's causing each thing unless I do start writing it down. And so once I did, it was pretty and it was pretty incredible just to see the correlation between things that I ate. I mean, I could look back a week and see I ate this, this and this and the next day felt like this, you know, and then, oh, I ate it again the following week and felt like this the next day. And it was really clear kind of what things were causing issues and and grains and dairy were probably the two biggest.
1: Was um, Was it hard to was it hard to kind of come to terms with this at the beginning before you had a diagnosis because of your history with an eating disorder, because this thing is like, oh, okay, now I'm getting really skinny or maybe it's, you know, you start to question yeah. your, I mean, I had an eating disorder for like 20 years and yeah. you start to question your sanity with food in general. Totally. And you're like, Am I just obsessing about this or wow, I, I'm getting even skinnier. This is kind yeah. of like, you know, this is, this is what I would have hoped for when I
2: was yeah. back in that place. Yeah, it's, that's something that I don't, I haven't actually talked that much about. And it definitely does mess me up because just mentally, you know, um, and I've been well from it for a long time, but those mental feelings don't ever fully leave. And so, yeah, I mean, at the beginning when I would lose such, you know, a crazy amount of weight in such a fast period of time, there were times where I was. Terribly skinny. And I would sometimes still look at photos and be like, Oh, you know, I wish I could look like that again. And then I realized though, thankfully how terrible. I mean, I was just, I was in bed for months at a time. And so that now I associate with that. I'm like, yeah, I could lose that much weight because of this disease. But then I almost died. First of all, and second of all, I was in so much pain all the time and I couldn't take care of that. At that point, I had, you know, my oldest son and couldn't take care of him and couldn't work. And so as soon as those feelings do creep in, thankfully, they're associated with such trauma and pain that I kind of don't go there anymore. But right. in the beginning, it was. Um, but that fast of weight loss in such a short time causes so many other issues. I mean, I would wake up in the middle of the night, my heart felt like it was gonna like burst through my chest. And my joints felt like a 90 year old woman's joints, like your body can't lose that much that fast, no matter how you know, no matter if you're like normal weight, underweight or overweight that quick and that much is so drastic for it. And so I think that those little mental reminders are helpful for me, I think in that.
0: And that weight loss was because your body wasn't absorbing any nutrition from your food. Right. Yeah. So, so I guess I, because when you say no, no grains, no dairy, no legumes, yeah, like no nightshades, which you know, just a couple, a you know, couple of variety of different vegetables, and I guess tomato is technically a fruit. Yeah, I, I think to most people, those th- those <laughs> have theoretically been told to us are very nutritious foods. Like how right, are we, right, you know, which is why I'm I'm always so curious to learn more about. I I don't purport to be an expert in paleo eating. Like I'm really (laughs) fascinated by it because people are so passionate about the way they feel when they subscribe. Um, but but particularly legumes, I'm like, I could not live without beans and, and lentils. And th- that's what I go to when I'm trying to limit myself from sugar in particular and grains right. in particular, which for right. me are the big not just trigger foods of like weight gain, but trigger foods of addiction around food and and totally. like cravings around food. Um, so why no legumes? Yeah. Why, why are they? Speci- why is that sort of like Why is that specifically unhealthy for, for people who are eating a paleo way and, and for, for you see, like you've described, um, yeah. and what do you eat?
2: <laughs> I guess it's the yeah. Well, question. so to answer the legume question, it's funny. Cause I was eating them for a long time when I first switched to, to grain free, I was still doing legumes and I was soaking them and sprouting them, which I think helps with digestion, um, But they were still causing me a ton of gas, which I think a lot of people feel like when they eat some beans, I think it depends what it is, like maybe lentils or something like that. You know, some people might be able to do, I think there's a lot of people that eat grain-free and dairy-free, but might still do legumes. For me particularly, and I think maybe just because I have a digestive disease, they're just really hard for me to, to process and to digest yes. um, no matter how they're prepared. And they just cause like immediate bloating and a lot of pain. Um, And from what I understand, and I'm like, again, I'm like, I'm just a recipe creator and the person who has the disease and have to eat this way. So I'm not an expert, but I've been trying to learn more and more. From what I understand, there's lectins on the outside. And I think that's similar for some of the nightshades, but I think there's something about the outside of the bean that is just difficult for your body to break down. And I guess that's why sprouting it and soaking it helps to remove some of that. And so I think that makes it easier for some people to process and tolerate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people even just notice that like if you're making, you know, a thing of chili and you just throw in like raw beans into it, sometimes it's harder to digest. But if you soak them in a bowl of water overnight, it helps to kind of remove that outside coating a little bit that is hard to break Adding down. Adding a
0: splash of um, apple cider vinegar to that water also really helps. Helps it. Mm-hmm. Same yeah. with lentils actually. Yeah. So many, But so many of those traditions, it's so interesting especially if you look at cultures that historically use a lot of lentils or a lot of beans. Yeah. Like, the the, the mothers were always soaking. Right, right, you know, they always right. would start like hummus. You'd start the garbanzo beans a day or two before. You'd have lemon right. in the water or apple cider vinegar in the water. You'd. I mean, it, these were just cultural things that we got rid of when we were like, oh, let's just make can the beans we're and too, make. It we're fast, too busy you know? for that. We're way too busy for that. We don't <laughs> mind like edible. farting for the next five days, but like we're too busy to soak. Um, I mean, honestly, that's part of my theory is that that's why people were
2: healthier and, and in other cultures too. Like there were the U.S. definitely has. I I think one of the highest prevalence of autoimmune conditions, which are all mm-hmm. inflammatory. And I do think we've lost a lot of the traditional ways of preparing foods. I mean, even just down to we don't really ferment anything in our culture either. You know, it's like you look at every other culture and there's some sort of a fermented food, whether it's sauerkraut or kimchi or, you know what I mean? And so, or there's just, or kefir, like, there's a lot of other cultures who eat fermented foods on a daily basis. And in America, I think it has become that quick thing. So we stop sprouting things, even with grains. I think some people can tolerate them better when they're actually prepared, you know, in the way that they used to be, whether they're soaked as well, or I don't know. And so I think some of it has to do with that. I think You know, if maybe I was living 40, 50 years ago where we were still preparing things, maybe a little longer than that, but uh, where we were still preparing things in the traditional fashions, it may not be such a problem. So what so now we know what you don't eat. What do you eat? Yes. Yeah. So I know I try to focus on that. So grass fed and pasture raised animal proteins. So beef and chicken and all seafood, um, vegetables, which I find I actually eat a ton more veggies than I used to back when I was filling my plate with a bunch of, you know, grains and rice and potatoes and things like that. Um, and then fruits and seeds, um, berries. I'm like, what else? Nuts, seeds. Yeah. So, wait, you know, but n- I mean, you
1: can eat nuts. I thought we could not. Yeah. Eat so
2: I wasn't for a while during the elimination diet, I cut that stuff out. And that's just like a six month thing usually for people, whether it's, it depends who you're doing it with. I mean, I was working with my doctor. We did six months off of some of those things just to kind of let my gut heal. Um, and then now I'm more of on just a standard paleo diet. So, okay, so the one so I did before was a lot more strict and it was just it. like elimination, kind of anything that could potentially cause inflammation. We cut to see what, oh what was the problem.
0: What oh, just take us through like, I'm sorry, we're, we're dwelling on this so long. Have I just really am fascinated. What's, <laughs> what is, what's a typical day of meals for you? And then we're going to get to the kids, because I think a lot of people are really curious about how health focused people feed their children, just because there are so many options that are overwhelming. And and we know, you know, set your kids up for just difficulty focusing, difficulty learning, retaining energy issues, etc. So Your daily diet is what? Well,
2: I don't make myself breakfast as often as I should. So usually it's some sort of a smoothie (laughs) Um, just to get out the door and then I'll eat something later. But um, yeah, so a smoothie usually with either like coconut milk or almond milk or cashew milk. And then sometimes if I have like a dairy free yogurt, I'll throw that in there if I have made it or if I bought one. Um, and then I have a like particular paleo protein powder that I like sometimes to put in. It's either like a collagen based one, or I have another one that, um, is actually like a bone broth based, um, protein powder, but it's chocolate flavored. It's really good. Um, and spinach or any sort of greens. And then depending on what I have on hand, but, um, Either like flax seeds or chia seeds, something like that thrown in there. Um, and then lunch, it's usually, well, just as busy and working and mom, I'm usually eating some sort of leftovers from whatever dinner was, um, or a salad, just like a big, huge salad. Or I like to do, um, lettuce wraps with like, if we had leftover chicken the night before with all sorts of stuff, you know, whatever I can find shoved in there, any veggies that I have and, um, tomatoes, I like pickles. Um, so that's usually like lunch. Um, and then dinner is, Usually our, it's kind of like protein, sweet potatoes. Um, I still, my kids still eat some grains, which that's what we'll talk about. They do rice is kind of like the one that they can do. And I don't notice any issues. Um, and they do white potatoes, like my whole family can do white potatoes. So I'll make them roasted potatoes or something like that. But we always all eat the same like protein and veggies. Um, so whether it's fish or it's grilled chicken or they love like, um, grass fed flank steak. Um, but then there's obviously the nights where we do some of the kids stuff, which we can talk about. The nuggets that I keep in the freezer are like grass fed hot dogs or a fallback often. Um, but yeah, that's kind of so it's just like a lot of veggies. Most I would say, like in terms of our plate, it's like half veggies um, and then maybe a quarter protein and then some sort of a starch of some sort just to help
0: fill everybody up. Do you snack and do you have dessert?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, I have dessert. And um, that's why I started like writing cookbooks. Cause I was like, I can't live without dessert for the rest of my life. I'm such a sweets girl. Um, so I don't have dessert every day just because the grain-free desserts are made usually with like nut flours. And it just, I find I can't do that all the time or it will give me some gut like distress. And I just think regardless of the type of sugar, like I use natural sugars, I use honey, I use maple syrup, but I still don't think that that's something that I should have three times a day. Mm -hmm. It's kind of just back even to when I ate dessert back in my prior days. It's like, you know, it's still a treat. I'll do it a couple days a week or whatever if we're celebrating something, but it's not all the time. Um, and yeah, I snack. I don't snack as much as I used to. When I first started eating this way, I found like I felt like I was hungry all the time. And I think as my body's gotten used to it, it's just been so long. But if I snack, I usually snack on fruit or veggies or like dried fruit and nuts. Um, and think what else I snack on. Sometimes chips, like there's I eat plantain chips or taro chips, like stuff like if I want something salty. Mm-hmm. Um, and now more than ever, there's so much there's like grain free crackers that you can buy. I mean, there's like you could pretty much get anything that you used to eat in a grain free format these days. So you do
0: these amazing Instagram stories where you take you take us shopping at Costco. Or you take a <laughs> shot like wherever, filling up your pantry with. I mean, it's it's insane the amount of product we've now uh, you know asked yeah. producers to create that totally. are grain free or paleo or you know gluten free or whatever. Um, so, kids, what do you, you have? Three children, nine yes. and under. What do you? feed them what I mean do they do they eat like this because you're do they eat like you eat because you're nervous they might have similar flare-ups or because mm-hmm. that's just, it's just easier for you frankly to juggle yeah. it if you're not making you know, eight different meals for everyone
2: Yeah um it's a little bit of both so when i first started eating that way and my my oldest who's almost 9 i was still feeding him just the normal stuff i mean i was trying to buy like better versions of it but i was you know buying all the crackers and the the rice cereal i mean i was doing everything that most parents do. And I remember going to a conference and just hearing about some other moms who were feeding their kids kind of the same way they were, and just that they were focusing more on nutrient dense foods. And and they still bought some of the snacks and stuff here and there. But um, I also, there was a panel on just about how autoimmune disease can be hereditary. Um, and then also how children that were born from cesarean can be more susceptible to that if it already is, you know, genetically predisposed. And my oldest was a C-section baby, um, and I hadn't given him probiotics at the time. I just didn't know a lot of what could happen through a C-section. And so it... it didn't like frighten me, but it did kind of open my eyes to that of like, oh, wow, I'm spending so much time figuring out what's good for my body. And I'm, you know, eating all of these foods and not eating these because they supposedly cause inflammation. And so maybe I should try to get him eating the same thing so that I try to set him up for a healthy future. And I mean, thinking about, I told my husband this the other night, just like thinking about my kids being diagnosed with my disease at some point just breaks my heart. Um, and I can't imagine them having to deal with everything that I've dealt with as their mom and having to like watch them go through that. So a lot of it is just trying to prevent them from having a disease like that diagnosed later in life. Um, and you know, I mean, we're not like, so I always tell people, I'm like, they eat paleo probably 80% of the time and they're gluten-free a hundred percent of the time. Um, None of them have been diagnosed with anything. The only thing we've ever noticed is just like a little bit of hyperness and kind of, you know, a little bit of more talking back when they've eaten things with wheat and sugar in them. But I still, as they're, especially as they're younger, like I'll still let them taste things at a party or whatever and kind of let them try to make the decision for themselves um, my oldest stomach definitely hurts if he eats a bunch of junk. And I think it's just because his body's not used to it. But right. isn't, isn't, um,
1: that, isn't that interesting? I, mean, I feed my kids a certain way at home. And then yeah. but I do believe exactly like you're saying, we don't, unless they have a, an allergy, right. we should let them be able to explore. make the decisions for themselves, yeah. explore, feel like they fit in. But yeah. it's interesting having the conversation with them after. My kids will tell me, my two older ones, I, so I, have, I have five I have five, three, two, and ten months old. So the two and the ten months old are not having these conversations yeah. with me. But the other two, they're like, yeah, mommy, I had the ice cream at the party because they don't eat dairy at home. And like, I don't feel very good right yeah. now. Or even at home, they're starting to say, you know what, I'm going to have one more bite of this because mm-hmm. I want to enjoy it, but I don't want to get a tummy ache later. Yeah. So they start to associate, which I think is an incredible gift that you're giving them. When they can associate how I'm eating with how I feel afterwards, that's yeah. just, that's absolutely tremendous. Do you think that everybody has a wheat allergy? Like, it should wheat be something? In your opinion, should wheat be something that no one should eat ever?
2: Oh, it's such a hard. <laughs> I'm always a proponent for like, do what works best for your body. And so, <laughs> if you have zero ailments and you notice zero bloating, or you know, and you sleep great and you have no joint pain, then then maybe you're one of the few that are fine with it. Um, right. I also think, again, going back to like our country, I think the way we produce and spray and Grow are we is different. Um, and so if, you know, you're over in Europe or something, it might be a completely different story. So I do, I mean, I think it causes inflammation and everybody that I talk to that cuts it out, even for 30 days is just like, Oh, I feel better. I'm sleeping better. I have more energy. And so I think it's definitely an interesting experiment for anybody who's dealing with anything. You know, if you're like, I feel amazing and 100% all the time, then. You're probably fine, but I think it could be worth cutting it.
1: <laughs> but what's interesting about what you're saying is a lot of people don't realize how no. crappy they feel until they start feeling better. And they're like, oh, my God, I yeah. can't believe. Or people be like, oh, no, I feel great. Well, sure. When I get out in the, in the morning, I get up in bed. My foot hurts. And now and then, yeah. you know, maybe my tummy hurts at this time of day. But, you know, you get so numb to
0: just oh, yeah. feeling the way that we you live feel. with so much underperformance in our own bodies. Totally. Or Feeling of lethargy, can't focus, needing a pick me up at four, like all these different, and, and like you said, you know your foot hurts, and you don't think that that's because uh, you have a buildup of calcium or whatever it right, might be. Right, that's right. because of what you're eating, you know. It, but it's, um, it, it I, I don't, I don't know if it's because we become. Because I guess you get accustomed to whatever you're dealing with on a daily basis, but yeah. I do think I, th- I, you know, the couple times that John and I usually, if I'm not pregnant in January, <laughs> we'll do, which hasn't been that frequent, um, will do like, uh, you know, a, a pretty stringent. Um, a uh, low carbohydrate style elimination yeah. type of thing in January. And it's really, I mean, it's just during the weekdays on the weekends, we kind of eat whatever we want and celebrate with family and enjoy ourselves. But during the weekdays, we, um, you know, we cut out dairy, we cut out gluten, we cut out sugar, um, the first week usually involves a way more, you know, restrictive thing, and then you add back week to week. So the first week you aren't having any uh, legumes either, and you're, I mean, it's mostly just vegetables and fruits the first week, which is, yeah. imp- impossibly difficult. <laughs> it's so so hard. But you what you do realize, and the reason he especially sticks with it kind of throughout the year for the for the five days of the week as much as possible, and like you know you make you make flexible choices because you're at work, and you you know sometimes yeah. you run into problems that way. Especially he does because he's not. Uh, maybe I'm not as good at helping him prepare yeah. for going <laughs> to the office but um but you the 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 miracle of being able to see in your own body even if you think you're functioning perfectly and you feel perfect yeah. of the, the at the end of the five days how great you feel and at the end of the weekend how absolutely crap terrible you feel yeah, yeah. it's fascinating yeah. it um, is Wait, let's talk liver meatballs. I'm sorry, okay. these are like the most interesting thing to me imaginable. Um, I know you have you you have put up so many cookbooks, and they're all bestsellers. People go absolutely nuts for Danielle's recipes because they they really are. You know, for dealing with all the restrictions that you put on them, they they you 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 pour your heart and soul into developing them, and you really test the test test them over and over and over again. And people are thrilled with the results. Um, and in your last cookbook, you had a whole section which I'm now blanking on the name of, but you you can tell us, you had a whole section about <laughs> stuff that you store in the freezer, especially for yeah. the kids and liver meatballs. I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> what I know, this? I know. Liver, is that, <laughs> I mean, talk about the whole thing. What is that? Oh my sorry. gosh.
2: Well, so I first will say there's like the paleo camp that is like 100% all about eating like our ancestors did, like You know, nose to tail and all the different parts. And I just have not been able to get on board with all of that over the years because it just totally grosses me out. But I kept hearing about just the benefits of liver and obviously the iron and then just all of the different vitamins that were in it. And, you know, with especially with little kids, how their iron stores start to go down. And not a lot of kids aren't eating like bowls of leafy greens and, you know, things like that. And so, for I was trying to incorporate it into my own diet, but then also thinking like, oh, it probably would be good for my kids to get a little bit of this. And so I made these pesto chicken meatballs for a long time. And I thought, well, what if I just hid a little bit in the meatballs for them? And they love them. Um, and it makes me feel good just knowing that they're getting some of that extra stuff in there. Uh, and me too. Like, so I keep them in the freezer all the time. Um, I tell people, I'm like, it's a, it's a strong flavor and it's kind of amazing that like our, Grandmothers and great grandmothers used to just sit down to like a plate of liver Liver and and onions. And liver, I'm just like, I don't think I could ever, ever do it. I mean, the smell of cooking it alone is enough to turn me off of it but i feel like it's one of those things that i'm like just a little bit i want to get it into their diet so i kind of hide it and there's a there's a breakfast sausage recipe that has it and then the meatballs and those are really the only two times but they like so i keep dozens of those in the freezer at all times because it's just such a quick easy protein that i can pull out and they love it like dipped in marinara sauce do they know
1: what they're eating
2: not yet because there's not i don't think they're old (laughs) enough I mean, maybe if I told my eight-year-old now, he might be like, I'm eating what? But um, the little kids don't have any last idea. <laughs> night,
1: Last night, I was cooking with my daughter. I cook for them um, every single night. And I'm trying to, I got, we, ha- we had a very interesting guest on here that talked about how many times you have to offer a food before your kid will actually eat it. Because uh-huh. my, my second child is so picky. It's like, yeah. makes you want to cry. And yeah. so I went back after talking, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go back. Because basically what I started doing was like, all right, I'm sick of going to the store and making these yeah. like, very complex meals or things that I am like, put my heart and soul into it. And then they want it. He wants to eat tofu and oatmeal every single night. Yeah. You know what I mean? At least it's like not the worst things in the world. No. But like when you're eating the same thing over and over again, I worry, you know, at least I'll drink yeah. the green smoothie. So like we're we're OK, but it could be so much better. So I was like, all right, roll my sleeves up. I'm going to go back to into it. And so my daughter wanted to cook with me last night um, and I was getting nervous because I hide so many things in their food. Yeah. And I was like, OK, but then you're you're entering the circle of trust, of secrecy. <laughs> right. (laughs) Now that you know what's in it, you can't, because I know that you like it. Do you you like can't it. <laughs> say that you don't like it mm-hmm. anymore. Because yeah. she started thinking she's like, you put avocado and broccoli in my smoothie. And I was like, I do. And you like it. And you've had it for a very long time. Okay. <laughs> but it is interesting how like all of a sudden you put it in their
0: head and they're like, oh, no, 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 uh, no. Yeah, no. yeah they totally. Do. And she milked it. Carmen milked it. Um, Hilary <laughs> Facetime me at like 730 last night. And I was trying desperately to get Philomena to sleep. And, and Philomena, Philomena was like, what um, time? What
1: time do you go
0: to I'm bed, Carmen? Obviously, immediately, Phoebe was like, "Carmen, what time is your bedtime? Oh Tell, me now. Tell
1: me now." <laughs> and it's usually much earlier than that, but she's literally like sitting, She's like every single piece of kale that she's roasted, she's like eating it. She's like, "Mommy, this Ugh. is just so good." And I'm like, "You just want to stay up later." <laughs> yeah, you're just buying time. <laughs> yeah. but, but if you're like, eating well, if you're kale while kale. you're doing it I exactly
0: I, I I'm will like, I'll okay. pay that price in kale. <laughs> but I don't but, yeah. but, but but liver is theoretically a detox organ. Like, do you worry about toxins in it, or how do you buy it so that I, know. I, mean, I love chicken liver toast? I haven't had it in a while because it's one of the things that you're theoretically not supposed to eat when you're pregnant because like a filter, like, you know, mollusks and things that, you know, filter stuff on the bottom of the sea, you theoretically don't want to eat the organ that is filtering it for the entire body in an animal. Right. Um, okay. So how do you so buy?
2: I have an article. I'll have to say, I'm not I'm like, I'm not going to even oh, try send it to me. I'm I such read, a nerd for this. Yeah, show. because <laughs> I actually read a lot of that, too, and I was worried about it. And so I did some research on it And from what I read. And I, we do try to buy organic and pasture raised chicken livers. Um, but there was something I read and I, I will send it to you. I'm not going to even try, but it made me feel comfortable and feel like, Oh, okay. And then I just, I'm like, I go back to the way that our great grandmothers used to eat and how healthy everybody was. And I'm like, they ate that stuff all the time. And they ate full fat, you know, dairy and they ate, I don't know, they ate bone or they, you know, made bone broth from scratch. And so I'm like, if they were doing it and they were living until they were a hundred and having no autoimmune disease. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. they were obviously doing something right. Mm -hmm. So there, that kind of made me feel more comfortable with it, but I will send it to you because I can't remember what it said and why it said it was okay. But I'll, I'll I'll send you the article. We'll (laughs) we'll make
0: sure to post it for the mom brain. Can we,
1: can we talk about how to eat? So I, you know, I love, I'm always interested in listening to, to what people eat, what people don't eat, but Are you are you somebody who is super conscientious of how much to eat, what your body, what signals your body is telling you? Like, I know through my own, you know, path through figuring out what I eat, what I don't eat, when I eat, you know, how much I really have to listen to eating when I'm hungry. Mm. stopping when I'm full. What does that feel like? I mean, can you can you talk to us a little bit if you have if you have thoughts on it? Talk talk to us a little bit about that. Because um, I'm sure, you know, people are going to love the recipes. But if you can shed a little bit of wisdom on your gut and on your digestion, because I think a lot of people have problems with digestion because they're also just not eating at the right times when their body is ready to accept the food.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I don't. I don't know that I have too many thoughts on it or that I'm like super mindful about it. Um, I definitely do. I mean, I eat when I'm hungry and I stop when I'm when I'm full and kind of have tried to teach my kids that as well. Um, we're not like a you have to clean your entire plate type of a family. And like as long as you tried everything and you say you're full and you're not going to ask for a snack in like 30 minutes, then, <laughs> then you're good. Um, but I mean, yeah, I eat. I don't do any of the like, I don't do any of the intermittent fasting or anything like that. I mean, I eat when I wake up if I'm hungry and I eat, you know, lunch when I'm hungry, but I definitely don't skip meals. Um, I try to make sure that I'm eating, you know, three meals a day and more than anything, just cause I don't make good decisions if I'm like so hungry and I haven't eaten anything. And then I'm like, I just want everything that I can find. And I'll just take bites of things here and there and finish my kid's plate. Or, you know, it's just like, I don't eat I don't feel like I eat as well unless I plan and kind of like make sure that I sit down and have a meal. But, um, yeah, I don't know that I, I wouldn't say that it, like in all honesty that I think about that as
1: much. Well, it sounds <laughs> like, I mean, but with that answer, it sounds like you, it sounds like you do, you know okay. I mean? It's well, like okay. by sitting down <laughs> and having, put. Pl- I mean, there are people, especially like all moms who are listening to this. How many, t- how many of you guys go and like finish your, pl- your kid's plate of food? Cause you don't
0: want to waste it. I do it all the time. Yeah, or all or the we'll time. just <laughs> eat standing up like yeah. little, little shifts that I've made. I mean, I, you know, my background in food, I should just say my life in food is like more is my life period. More is more. I'm like, I love to celebrate with it. I love to enjoy it. I, I never want to have to deprive myself of things. And I'm, and I'm lucky that I don't, um, I don't have to theoretically, but what I will say is when I've changed very small, but very specific habits to your point, you know, not feeling obligated to finish the food off my kids plates or not even obligated, like not letting myself be so hungry that that is what I want to eat. because. Because it's there and it's ready. Um, not eating, standing up, really trying to limit snacks or at least making my snacks very thoughtful. Um, those simple tacks have actually changed my ability to enjoy my meals so much more. And to, you know, I, we sometimes go on like these European tangents on this show. But I am, to your point about the way that our ancestors have eaten and the way that in many parts of the world they still eat where food is a um, it's a ritual and meals yeah. uh, it's food is not just sustenance it is a right. it is a chance to decompress it is a chance to, to connect it is something that you owe yourself um, you know that 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 20 minute pause of sitting and mindfully enjoying a meal um, I think actually you know I, there I'm sure there are scientific studies on the difference in the way that your body accepts those new nu- the same nutrients coming in yeah. whether you're eating them you you know, standing up, running in between the subway, whatever, or sitting and letting your brain tell you when you're full, letting your brain uh, acknowledge that you're doing something good for yourself. All of mm-hmm. these things. Um, yeah. So I think I I want to change tacks really quickly. Not in you know not in not because I'm in any way done talking about liver meatballs. I'm not really long, time. But, uh, but and and you have such a wealth of information, and you are so. Um, open about your own story and the way that that has allowed you to become an, you know, you say you're not an expert, but you are an expert. You live this day in and day out and you share with your, with your, um, you know, with everyone on Instagram and on your blog about the ways that you make this work for you and your family. You've, you've also been very open about the way that you and your family have dealt with grief and with loss and with love and all the things that that families go through. But you have, you know, you've done it in a very public way. I, I you know, just to Just to recap for people who might not be familiar with you, will you tell everyone a little bit about Isla and a little bit about why, well, I guess why you, why you, why you do share your life in this way and how it's helped you to be able to do that?
2: Yeah. I mean, so our, um, so my oldest is Asher and he's almost nine. And when he was three and a half, I was pregnant with our daughter, um, let's see, yeah, three and a half. And we found out at about 25 weeks that she had a condition that would potentially not make her compatible with life, you know, is the words that they use when she was born. Um, And they just, they couldn't know for sure until she was born um, and, you know, run some tests, but that was very likely, like a a very high percentage. Um, And at the time I had already put out my first cookbook. So I had, you know, had a online platform. And we actually announced that I was pregnant with her and that I'd be putting out my second cookbook right at the same time. Um, We like put out a photo of like my next book next to my belly. Uh, And so we kind of had, you know, this community while it's not nearly as large as it is now walking through that with us and having excitement for us to have, you know, our second child and to have it be a girl. And, so when we got the diagnosis um, and kind of just got that news, we we struggled back and forth with like, do we let people in on this or do we just kind of wait until she's born and then, you know, fill people in? And there were, you know, kind of two things. One is I just was like, I don't think I can still continue to do what I do and be out in the public eye, you know, in a sense. Um... And not let people know this. It just felt like a huge burden that I'd be carrying. That they would be having all of this excitement for me and asking, you know, to see my belly or see the nursery or the things that people do. Right? It's like you know they get excited and they want to see your bump shots and they want to know how your pregnancy is going. And I just didn't think I could handle it if people were asking all of those happy questions when we were kind of going through the pregnancy with this. Like, I mean, it was, a, it was a really hard time not knowing. And it was, you know, we loved her and were excited to be carrying her. But there was just this very real chance that she wouldn't make it. And so I just like, I don't think I can put on a fake smile and talk about my pregnancy and not tell people. So that was kind of, you know, one of the reasons. But the other reason was just because we had started sharing my health story and had started seeing so many people being helped by it. And hearing just, I mean, gosh, I mean, at that time, just like already, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that were finding health through my way of eating and that were connecting with me because, you know, they knew similar suffering through disease. And so we had just already seen how much sharing what you've gone through can help other people and how it doesn't fix the problem, but it almost doesn't make it, you know, like you're not suffering in vain because you're helping all of these people afterwards. And so it was also kind of a conscious decision of like, well, if we share and we're able to help another, you know, family who's walking through something similar or who has walked through something similar, then it makes it worth opening up and sharing and being vulnerable. Um, And so that was kind of the decision process of, of deciding to share. And so we didn't, you know, I mean, I wasn't blogging daily through the rest of my pregnancy or anything like that about, you know, what was happening or my emotions or feelings, but I shared a little bit. Um, we, we shared kind of an announcement and it really wasn't, I didn't really start sharing more about her and our loss and grieving until after she had passed. And so she um, lived for about 40 minutes after birth. And so then kind of after that is really when I started sharing just as we were processing the grief and then also with having... You know, then a a four-year-old at the time who was also processing grief in his own way and um, just really starting to see from kind of the first time we shared just this massive community that gathered around us and people that were kind of, you know, whether they had been following me for years and just never shared that they had gone through loss um, or people, knew people that were coming that were just really looking for somebody that they could feel like they could connect with. And I think the most powerful thing for me was, you know, and I had experienced a loss before my oldest son. Uh, we had a twin pregnancy that ended around 10 weeks. Um, but it, you know, I moved, I was, I grieved that and I was just, I definitely, I talked about it here and there, but I just didn't realize until after we lost Ayla, just how, first of all, how many women, you know, go through miscarriage and infant loss and pregnancy loss, um, but how silent people are about it. Um, And, you know, just even in our own community, we realized it's a very, not taboo, I guess, but also just really uncomfortable. People just don't, they don't know how to ask you about it. They don't know how to talk to you about it. They're afraid that if they bring it up, then they're going to put you in a place where you're, you know, upset or sad. And so they just kind of choose to just not say anything. And that translates to the mom and to you know husband as well, but as that they don't care or that they forgot. Um, and so the one thing that we heard just over and over and over again after sharing was just how moms just want to have other people in addition to their themselves acknowledge that there was a life that was lost and a life that they already imagined through, you know, wedding, like as soon as you see that stick, it's like you, whether or not, you know, it's a girl or boy, like you've already imagined them going to kindergarten and you've imagined their first date and they're probably, it's just, you know, you just, that's what you do as a mom. You start to imagine what that life will look like. And so you didn't get to actually experience it, but you almost grieve the memories that you kind of made up in your head. And so um, we just started seeing just so many people coming and just saying like, you know, I feel like I haven't been able to grieve because the people around me, you know, don't want to go there with me and I can't ever say my child's name because it makes people feel uncomfortable or, you know, I'll never forget there was a mom who was, gosh, I mean, she was in her 60s and she said like, I lost a baby boy 40 years ago and I have four kids and they don't even know his name because I've never been able to talk about him. And so, you know, thank you for sharing so openly because now I feel like I can finally grieve the son I lost. Um, So that kind of stuff is just really powerful and kind of made me feel like it was worth sharing and continuing to share about her and our process as we went. And, um, you know, it's it's been a journey for us. So every time we kind of go through something new, I depending on, you know, if it feels right, I share a little bit about it and kind of what our feelings are and. Um, yeah, but it's, so she would be five in June. So it's, we're five years out and I've had two now since, um, which is also something I share a little bit about just kind of what it feels like to go through pregnancy afterwards and, um, how hard that can be for parents and, just to let other women know that it's okay. You know, I mean, I was like a disaster with Easton who came after Ayla. I was just so worried all the time that something was going to happen. And I even had a lot of, of really hard time connecting with him when I was pregnant because I, it wasn't her. Um, and I just wanted her there. And, you know, once he came, it was a completely different story, but I've shared openly about that too. Cause I think we just put so much guilt on ourselves for everything, whether you feel or you don't feel enough or, you know, it's just like women can just get down emotions on emotions so period. Much. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think
1: that's why I think that's why sharing is is so important. And you've done such such a service, you know, not just with the food, but but, you know, sharing um, about your losses as well. And, and then your growing family since because this is, as you said, it's something that so many of us suffer in silence. You know, many people know this guy had a miscarriage and um so many people told me not to say anything people who love mm-hmm. me and and they don't do that i mean then they know the reality of my life that they're afraid that there's gonna be cameras outside of my house right. which there were for a few times and then i just instagram for people to go away and they actually did which was like a, <laughs> i mean at least brought a smile to my face in some sort of That's sense of nice. power in such a powerless situation <laughs> yeah. but, but i mean exactly what you're saying um is that so many people came forward and, and people who, who had lost babies like decades ago and said, I've never spoken about this. And now I'm going to speak about it because, because you're doing, and I'm the same way. Like if, you know, if Daphne or one of my other girlfriends, they do something, I mean, if it's something silly, you know, like I'm trying this like new nail polish or doing this, I'm like, I want to do that too. But it can also be when these bigger things in life, it can feel so liberating because you're like, oh, it actually is okay. Right. You know, and, and you know, having babies as you know, where we've all come here to this podcast to talk about is the the hardest and most magical and most special journey of our lives. And if we're supposed to do like such a big part of it when it's not so beautiful, when we're supposed to do yeah. that in silence and just suffer and sort of put a smile on. And, and, and now that we're all on Instagram and other social media that we're supposed to like, let, right. let me show you my life, but not that part. <clears throat> yeah, you know, exactly. it exactly. gets to be very, I mean, you've, you've done a, you've given a, a really big gift. It just to feels people. so
0: real. Like in a funny way, and we've talked about this before too. And, and the same, the same when you shared, Alaria, like it, it was, um, the quote unquote Starting with reality shows, and then the quote unquote reality of social media, and all—it's yeah. all so orchestrated. Realizing it's, all, it's so far it's from real so because it's actually scripted. It's scripted reality, or it's you know content <laughs> calendared reads. reality. Yeah. Right. And it felt—I remember reading, you know, reading your story. I remember you know, and obviously, Alari you know, and I had spoken b- before, and during, and after, yeah. and since. And it's—it—it it just feels like such a part of why I think women, especially, and not to not. Our, our, you know, sensitive new age guy, Cal, in the room, not to discount what men experience too. But I think women gravitate towards that so much, that sense that someone is sharing something so real with me. And so it is personal. But it's ultimately extremely. Um, to your point, it's it's a service. It's like you, you, we. This is real life. This is my real life. Yeah. Yes, I'm sharing a lot of it with you, but this is like, this is what's going on in the background. Um, yeah, I think it was. Can you
1: give me advice? So I definitely want to have another one, especially I don't want to. Mm. I don't want to end on that note of my. Yeah. you know, of my. I mean, I already have four kids, but and that's what people yeah. say to me as well. They're like, "Well, you have other kids," and I'm like, "Yeah, yes, that but all, each one of them is important." <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, if all of a sudden like Leo weren't around, that would be yeah. horrible, horrible, horrible. Yeah. Like, yes, I have four kids and I love them all equally. And trust me, if you have one kid, I love all my kids as if I were to have one kid something. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. you, you the, the heart is this magical, magical organ that has the ability to do that. Bro, what yeah. advice would you Amazing. give to me? cause I am afraid, you know, yeah. because it was so hard. And even though I do believe that it's part of the journey. And once you Allow yourself to to step into parenthood. You say, Okay, I'm gonna do this. You have to be willing to get your heart broken many times in many different ways. Sometimes yeah. they hurts more than others. But what what kind of um, advice would you give to people who have had a loss and and uh want to do it again?
2: Oh goodness. Well, first of all, people try to say things and they're <laughs> I feel like they're well meaning, but gosh, we got so many of those types of comments afterwards, after she passed, like, Oh, well, at least you know you can have kids or when are you gonna try again? And I think um Because of that, I put pressure on myself like, oh, I'll be fine once I just have another one. So I think I would say – I think my biggest piece of advice was not only wait for your body to heal, of course, but I think you do need to make sure that you're mentally and emotionally ready to be there for a pregnancy because – Now, of course, my Easton, like he's almost four and he's just such a joy. And we, he was right for us at the right time. But I regret not being present in that pregnancy. And it makes me sad to think that I wasted, you know, the time that he was in utero of not loving and connecting with him right away. And a lot of it was because I think I thought, like, oh, if I just get pregnant again, like we got pregnant almost six months after she died. And obviously, you know, I believe timing. I I believe God's timing is right and everything happens for a reason. And so he's here and we love him. But if I could go back, I would wait a little longer until I was just a little bit more healed. And not that it ever gets you know, better, fully healed by any means, but I was just still so grief stricken when I found out we were pregnant with him. And I just I thought it would fix things and it didn't, you know, I, like I remember I was even going to counseling afterwards and I quit counseling as soon as I got that positive test. Cause I was like, I'm going to be fine. Um, and it ended up actually, I I went through a whole other like wave of grief after that, but I think I finally allowed myself to feel some emotion. So I think that like, just work on, on your emotional state, you know, and be ready for that. But also then like, I actually wrote an article for the today's show about, carrying a baby after loss. And I think no matter how you lose the baby, you know, I mean, I found myself, I think you're also really exposed after that to learning about all these different ways that you could lose a child, which I felt like I was so naive to before. And so I learned, or I wrote an article just about choosing to have faith over fear. Um, And it was a daily decision I had to make every morning that I got up because every day that I got up, I thought, you know, I don't feel him kick. He's gone. Or, you know, there were, I mean, constant times of going to the doctor and like going to get the stress test. Cause I was like, he's, you know, like something happened. And so I just had to like consciously say, I'm just going to choose to have faith that he's going to live. I love Um, that
1: faith over fear.
2: It's a, yeah, it's a good one. And that, so that's the other thing. It's a hard, it's a hard journey, you know, and it's, it is not easy, um, but you're also so, so grateful when they come into the world and they're healthy and alive and um, you get to just celebrate that as well. But yeah, I think the faith over fear thing is is huge um, and it's a daily conscious decision.
1: That's so wise. One of my closest friends, um, Maria Jacobs, she um, she said to me at one point during one of my pregnancies, because I was talking about, you know, connecting and like nervous. And, you know, I had three boys in a row and they were all so fast. and I had four babies in four and a half years. And it was like, OK, well, how, it's just like this whole like mosh of boys. And, and she said, you just haven't met him yet. You know that idea, and and that really was was what it was. As soon as soon as that baby comes out, at least for me, I and mean, everybody connects differently. And of course, we've talked on the podcast before about postpartum and and sort of difficulty connecting with your child. But for me, as soon as that baby comes out, there is this connection, soulmates for life, um, and that I. It's interesting that in utero experience where you're never closer to another person than when they're inside of you, and then. But then it's like, well, who is this person? And then they come out and then you meet them. And it's like, for me, it's like immediate connection. And it, it really is. it is it really is very magical. We want to speak with you for forever and ever, but we're getting the goodbye sign. Um, can we ask you um, what your favorite thing is, which is like whatever you're into right now? Currently, my
2: favorite thing, not my favorite thing product, we'll talk about that. But my favorite thing is a YouTube series that I've been doing called Feeding Friendships. Um, where I travel around the world and not around the world, country, and go into my friend's kitchens and cook with them and try to solve some sort of a problem that they have in the kitchen, whether it's like packing healthy lunches or um, finding a meal that suits their whole family where they're not you know, batch cooking or or short order cooking for each of their kids. Um, And then, yeah, my newest book, Eat What You Love, just came out in December. And it's all about Eating the comfort food and the family favorite foods that you like, but um, still grain free and dairy free and allergy friendly.
0: And so, what's your favorite product? Your favorite thing that you're telling oh your girlfriends about, or that you know you can't live without in your daily routine?
2: Honest Beauty mascara. They're new. It has a primer on one end and then mascara on the other. I had, um, I got eyelash extensions for fun when I went on book tour, and they were so great, but they made my eyelashes like stubs afterwards. Uh, <laughs> me too. It's I've the, heard, I never feeling it because world. I've
0: heard that you go from being like you. Know, you know that scene in Shrek where he's like, "Of course you're a girl dragon." You know, you go from being the girl dragon, you know, yes. just the most beautiful, <laughs> it's like lush. And you know, they're like, oh yeah, that's yeah. You know. it's, it's, The girl dragon is a good thing. It's when you have long, <laughs> fluttery, beautiful, doughy lashes, yes. and then all of a sudden they fall out, and not only are your lash extensions gone, your real lashes, your real <laughs> lashes. What?
2: Nobody told me that, so I I did some serums to like get them to grow back. But this honest beauty, and it's non toxic. A lot of like regular mass. Mascaras make my eyes burn and this one doesn't. Um, and it, so it has a primer on one end and then the other one is the mascara. And I feel like it makes them look really, really long and they don't clump. And it, it's it's the closest I'll probably ever get to lash extensions again because I don't think I'll put them back on with how destroyed you know, they people, made my eyes.
1: I have a friend that every single time she does it and she continues to do them, she gets an eye infection. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And so, and then you have to go on antibiotic drops and stuff like that. What? It's just like a whole oh, thing. Oh, gosh. I <laughs> know. Is, yeah, yeah. not worth the I know. The beauty. Yeah, exactly. No. I'm just going to stick with my, with my lashes.
2: Yeah, good me stuff. too. And if anything, I might try those magnetic ones one day. I tried now, them, by the way.
1: Did I tried you? them and I liked them. I mean, I'm good with, I was a dancer, so I'm good with, uh, with putting on lashes of all sorts, like yeah. individual and everything. And I liked them. You know, I, okay. I, they were cool. You have to just make sure that you don't like get too, too close because then it will like pinch a little bit of your skin. And yeah. then that's
0: horrible.
2: That's not great. <laughs> not good. No, definitely not.
0: Danielle, tell everyone where to follow you or to learn more. Okay.
2: So I'm Danielle Walker on Instagram and then everywhere else it's Against All Grain um, on Facebook and Twitter and the blog is againstallgrain.com.
0: Awesome. Thank All you right, so thank much. Thank you so much, guys. We'll see you so great chatting with you. Thank you so yeah, you. you. This too. Was great. Congratulations again. Thank you. Mommy!
1: Mommy! All right, guys, that was Danielle Walker. You know, one of the things I love about her is that she really, you know, is it? What is it? Walk the. She walks the walk. Mm-hmm. Is that she walks the walks, talks the talk? No, talks the talk, walks. What is that saying? That's That's exactly something. what you just. Said. Exactly. She walks the walk. She you talks know what? Talk, we we love talking to specialists on um, on Mom Brain, and and they're always so fascinating. I love that. She's a specialist because she has experienced this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't just an interest that she had or a career choice that she that she decided when she was younger. It was that she had a problem in her life and she solved it. So she's really speaking to us from a place of knowing and a place of really going through. And you look at her and she's this, you know, bubbly, gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous mm-hmm. woman mm-hmm. full of light. And you think about all the stuff that she's been through, everything from her own sickness to, you know, miscarriage to losing Ayla. Um, and I love how she has decided to use her difficulties in life to help herself,
0: help her family and help the world. I I think you said it beautifully. I feel like that is so true. What, what comes across when you first meet her is she's the most bu- bubbly, effervescent, mm-hmm. lighthearted, easygoing, life must be so easy person. And then you start to hear about the ways that... And maybe it is. Maybe it's just because she's been able to find... so, first of all so much you know strength and refuge clearly her family's incredible but like in herself just to be able to create this positive outcome for herself has been amazing and um, and that she's been so willing and open to share so that other people can benefit from her expertise from her experience her trial and error is is so generous um and i think it was interesting what you said you know expertise or so being someone who's very learned learned in a certain subject is is of course, important, but you learn something very specific when it's, it's out of desperation Mm -hmm. and it's out of personal need. And you have that authentic experience to go hand in hand with the information that you're gathering. I think it's part of why she's had the stickiness that she has with that community of, of, you know, this is, this is someone who has to eat like this every single day. There are no breaks here. Um, so knowing that to be the case, everything I make has to be delicious. And I have to figure out a way to, to really make it feel like I'm not deprived. And I have to figure out a way to let my family be a part of this journey with me because I'm not going to live, you know, my separate life in a bubble away from them. Uh, I want to be an engaged mom. I want to be an engaged wife. I want to be engaged in my own life. Um, so anyway, I, I, she's a dear friend and I loved, I loved getting to chat with her today and getting to, um, have her share everything with all of us. Um, Let's do some favorite things. It's time for our favorite things. Yeah.
1: It's time for our favorite things. Oh, yeah. What's your favorite thing today? So, um...
0: I find that especially I'm you know, I'm about halfway through this pregnancy now and I'm like I'm riding high on that second trimester high energy wave, but I'm also I still get that like the zero to 60 factor of I'm fine. I can wait till lunch to I'm starving. <laughs> like, and it needs it, to be right it needs now. To be immediately <laughs> satisfied um, or, or, you know, all hell breaks loose um, has left me looking for some really fast but delicious and nutritious snack options. And I love to share them um, on Instagram because I feel like, you know, anytime that I cook, uh, especially when I'm doing like an Instagram live or whatever, they're my, my pretty fast go to quick, healthy recipes, family-friendly, et cetera. And, and people um, people really need ideas because you can just sink into a rut so easily. So my new favorite snack right now, which is going to be my favorite thing, are... So Gigi crackers were like really huge for a while. Uh, they're those high-fiber crackers. I think, I think they're brand crackers, not something Danielle could eat. But um, I'm sure she has a version of them for herself. But in any case, they... I have this flavor that's raisin and honey, I think. And I put almond butter on top um, and sprinkle with raisins. And it is so delicious. And I think because because it's the high fiber cracker plus the protein and fat of the almond butter, it really lasts me a long time. Um, like I can, I'll eat it at, you know, usually I have a smoothie for breakfast or maybe, maybe an egg or something um, as I'm taking the kids to school. And then I'll come back and have this around 10. And it's the kind of thing where I feel like I can then wait until noon or one to have lunch and not feel famished in, you know, two seconds. Um, and that it comes together very, very quickly. And it has that little bit of sweetness, which I which is great for me also in the afternoon. Um, you know, if, if around three or four you're like me and you have a little sweet tooth and you kind of want to eat, you know, something chocolatey, then this is you could put dark chocolate instead of the raisins. Mm. You could do something like that, which would be a really nice upgrade. But um, the savory version of this that I do when I'm feeling uh, like I need that is I will do the a Gigi cracker not the sweet one i'll just do the regular Gigi cracker and then i'll put a thin layer of um either a whole whole milk cottage cheese or cultured cream cheese with sliced tomatoes and salt and a little fresh basil
1: oh that sounds so good delicious that sounds so good. So You're that's me and me hungry. my hungry. <laughs> By the way, guys, we're doing this like right before lunch, so <laughs> yeah, we're like really hungry right now. And actually, you've just inspired me to change my favorite thing. I'm saving the oh, other thing that you exciting. guys will have to listen to another episode. Wait, can I say for one thing that? before yes. we move
0: on from this? Because it's really important when you have anything high fiber, you have to drink water, guys. Like you need like a full glass of water. Yeah,
1: that whole thing of like when people were obsessed with like fiber bars and stuff like that, you, and they were like, "This is gonna solve all my no. problems." Bad idea. Really bad idea. Bad idea.
0: Do not want to, you know, clog the pipes. Make sure you're drinking plenty of water. I drink like a glass of water per cracker that I eat basically.
1: Whoa, but that's so good. I drink a lot of water. It's You know what? (laughs) Nothing better. Um, So mine, I'm actually going to change mine to a um, a coconut yogurt that my kids have been eating and that I really like. So I became dairy-free like 15 years ago. I had asthma and I had different joint pain and stuff like that. And everybody was telling me, get rid of dairy, get rid of dairy, get rid of dairy. I ate dairy breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and I love dairy very, very much. And so I was like, okay, fine. Very, like, angrily- I did it for three weeks. I don't know why I said for three weeks, but I did three weeks. Um, And I told everybody that they were going to see no result, and I would go back to my breakfast, lunch, and dinner of dairy. I haven't used an inhaler since. I know. Crazy. Daphne as I just looked at me like it's my like eyes seven are heads bulging out of my head. That's so wild. I don't eat dairy and but I very much missed it and I would have to say there are certain things that I missed the most like yogurt. Mm-hmm. I like really 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 like yogurt. And this is not to say you know in more recent years like if so if, you know, cake has dairy in it or, you know, I'm going to try a little piece of like queso manchego or something like that that like I miss well, tremendously. Cheese
2: has less
0: lactose in it, so you probably are, don't yeah, have Yeah, no, you know what you. it
1: is? I think if you can go by your body is mostly healthy and you're eating well most of the time, then it's okay every once in a while to splurge. I definitely do. Um, you know, I mean, if you have a, a, an allergy or an illness um, like Danielle then that's a completely different story. But, you know, how she was talking about how her kids eat and how I was talking about in the podcast how my kids eat. You know, most of the time at home, we eat, you know, 90% of the time really, really well. Mm-hmm. And then the other times, let's live a little, let's uh, let's enjoy. So this is a yogurt that actually tastes really good called the Coconut Collaborative. Um, and, um, and my kids are really into it. They have a plain one, they have a mango one, they have a vanilla one, they have a blueberry one. And then they also have these, like, tiny little puddings that they actually, I love that they write that this is a dessert on it because a lot of times people will, like, try to say that it's a a yogurt or healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're very specific of, like, this is something that's a little bit more sugary. And what I love about these yogurts is that they're not that sugary, the the ones that are not the dessert one. They're not that sugary. Um, My kids will eat them. I will eat them. I also like that, you know, sometimes I would get these non-dairy yogurts and I would open them and they'd be, like, moldy. You know, that there wasn't, Ooh. they hadn't really figured out the shelf life. They hadn't really figured out how to transport them. I mean, it's a, it was a new thing that, that people were coming up with. Um, so we kind of stepped away from them for a little bit. Some of them taste horrible, to be quite honest. <laughs> so, but this one is a really nice one because it's, it's just like the right amount of sweet. Um, and I love them when the kids will actually, you know, eat them awesome. because I feel like they have really good ingredients and they don't have like any of those like crazy binding ingredients that you think like, well, I might as well just eat the regular thing. Um, so that was my favorite thing. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us at Mom Brain on Instagram. Don't forget to now watch us our wild, wild sessions. Um, you can watch us sit here and talk into a microphone on YouTube. Follow our Mom Brain channel. Um, rate, review, subscribe. Please subscribe and share, 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 share with your friends. This is our tribe, and we want to make our tribe bigger and bigger and bigger. And we are going to take the over the world. One mommy at a time.
0: Join us. It's going to be great. Love that. And don't forget to email us, mombrainpod at gmail.com. Until next week, you guys, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. This is Mombrain with Alaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mombrain is a Gallery Media Group original
2: production.